Analects 2.11. The master said, reviewing the old as a means of understanding the new. Such a person is worthy to take as one's teacher. I very much like this analect and it's something a person should consider as they begin to study anything regarding the pre-modern past, whether it's history or philosophy or fictional literature. The old refers to, of course, the past, and the new refers to the present and the future. And the things of the past are incredibly essential for understanding what's happening today and what's to come. Because the by studying the old, we're not expecting what's happened in the past to exactly unroll or exactly to manifest today. That's not going to happen. So there's that uh, quotation attributed to Mark Twain. Uh, History does not repeat, but it does rhyme. I don't know if Mark Twain actually said this but it's often attributed to him. And the point of this is that history is not going to repeat, but that doesn't mean what's going to happen is going to be completely new. So history and what's from the past, more generally, such as philosophy and, and literature, gives us an opportunity to understand what is fundamental about human beings and what is fundamental about human societies. In other words, yes, in some ways, things are different. The technology certainly is different today. Some ways of organizing society are different, such as having uh, this particular constitution versus another kind of constitution. I was going to say democracy, but then I realized Democracies are actually very much in the past, and we can study Athens, and we can study Rome in order to figure out what is the general nature of democracy, as well as the past 200 plus years. So we can look into the past to see what is fundamentally unchanged, and this gives us an opportunity, therefore, to understand the fundamentals. And once you understand the fundamentals, you have a very powerful tool to be able to navigate through any kind of detail and to understand which details and subtleties are important and which ones are not. And so an intelligent person can become deeply wise and an intelligent person can become very successful 
if he is to be able to grasp the fundamentals. Whenever I study something, whether it's moral wisdom or whether it is something related outside of that, I always pay attention to the fundamentals. I always work at the fundamentals. And at the beginning, this means I'm behind. This is also a, a major reason why when I look at my educational career, I don't do too well at the beginning of the semester, and I don't do too well at the beginning of the degree program. So, you know, if you're getting, for example, a doctorate, that's what I mean. So at the beginning, I'm still attempting to grasp the fundamentals. And that means I have a much greater mastery of the subject than anybody else. However, my GPA is often lower. And this is, uh, I'll take the tangent here, but the educational system is bunk. It does not reward deep mastery. What it rewards is quick and expedient learning. And so when I see people with these advanced degrees, and I'm not saying I don't have one, but when you look at most people with advanced degrees, they're very superficial thinkers. And that's simply the reality. So whenever I hear, oh, this person has a PhD from this school, uh, it, it doesn't buy much credibility with me any longer. Because I have no assurance that he is somebody who has mastered the fundamentals. Now, the person described in 2.11 who reviews the old, what has come before, as a means of understanding the new, that person has a strong grasp of the fundamentals. And that person is somebody whom you can learn from. So when you do study history, when you do study ancient philosophy, when you do study literary works written 200 or more years ago, poetry or novels, then you start to figure out some important things about human nature and the nature of society. Human nature, by definition, is that which does not change over time. It is something that you are born with not as a mere individual. Some people are born more intelligent than others. Some people are born more sensitive than others. This is not what, of course, we mean by human nature. This is what something that is, this is a nature that human beings in general are born with. So human nature does not change. And when we study history, we can think more about society, cause and effect, what happens when there's not enough food to go around, what happens when the culture is materialistic? What happens when the leaders lack virtue? What happens when the leaders are not the most capable? What happens when the leaders are selfish, etc.? Cause and effect. And you can also understand what is possible. What is possible? So one of the problems of Plato's Republic is that Socrates describes an ideal government at the end of it and throughout the book. But his whole ideal is something that's never been tried before. It is to take the children 
of parents and educate them separately from the parents. And at various stages, you're only taking the cream of the crop. At the very creamest, uh, very top of that cream, after several rounds of selection, those people are the ones who are the so-called philosopher kings that commentators uh, say, but these are the guardians of the whole state and they are the smartest and strongest people, but they never get to meet their own parents in order to prevent nepotism, favoritism. And would this idea work? Well, we really have no idea. And this, this idea is something that should raise a lot of eyebrows because we're what we're really talking about with, with this idea in Plato's Republic is does involve uh, it does involve treating human beings like dogs that can be bred. And the word for that is eugenics. So that's a kind of frightening notion or horrifying notion for a lot of people. And furthermore, you can see the Confucian disagreement with this, whereas wherein a person is removed from his parents, so he does not get to experience or have the opportunity to practice filiality in a natural setting. And so would this actually work out? Maybe not, according to Master Yao in 1.2 of the Analects, he, belie he, he believes that it is filiality within the family that allows, that is the root of Ren. Filiality is a root of Ren. Ren, of course, means noblest humanity. So what kind of people will we actually have if they never get to meet their parents? Uh, are we going to have virtuous and objective people, or maybe we'll end up simply with sociopaths? Well, we can't tell because this this whole regime has never been tried before in history. And so, if we have a if we have a choice between going down Socrates' direction, trying his idea, or trying something that has worked before and history has shown it's worked pretty well although not perfectly because all of these dynasties do come to an end maybe we should go with the one that has actually been tried in history but just tweak it a bit so history can tell us at least what is possible and there is some comfort in that along these lines it's important to not oversimplify history however so for example uh when we study history, world history, there are, of course, tyrants, oppressive kings. But people whose understanding of history are oversimplified, they overestimate the number, the frequency of tyrants. Tyrants are actually fairly rare in monarchical history. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But most kings are not tyrants. Most kings are not tyrants. And just like most democratically elected politicians do not become dictators, although you still do have people like Hitler. So 
monarchies can sometimes rarely occasion, uh, rarely produce tyrants, and democracies can rarely or on occasion produce dictators. But it would not be fair to say that this is always what happens or mostly what happens. Another way in which you should avoid oversimplifying history is by being careful about what words historians use. For example, the word religion or gods, that can mean very different things from culture to culture. The word concubine has a very different meaning from where it came from, Roman culture, than how it's used to describe uh, a consort in, say, ancient China, wherein a concubine is really another wife but one that does not give birth to the crown prince. But in Rome, a concubine is actually something that happens very often today. It's like a live-in girlfriend. So today, most people actually have concubines. And in Rome, you couldn't have both a concubine and what's called a dignitas marriage because that would violate, that would transgress against monogamy. So just like today, you can't have a girlfriend who lives in your apartment and a wife who's a different woman. You can't do that. And back in those days with Rome, you couldn't do that either. So what is a concubine? Well, historians tend to be very sloppy in using their words. One way in which they are especially sloppy is the word slavery. When people hear slavery, they think typically of the American version where that existed in the antebellum South, uh, you know, around Georgia, all the way up to Virginia. And that's a, that has its own kind of unique place in history. So I've seen that word slavery being used to describe, for example, uh, in Korean history, Nobi, and there's actually debate whether that should not be called slaves, but should be called something like serfs because you, there were a lot of legal restrictions on what uh, a person could do to Nobi, and a lot of Nobi could also um, be the lord of other Nobi. So it is a kind of servitude, but it's completely different from what happens, happened in the antebellum south. And so you want to be careful about such words. And in addition to that, uh, there's always this kind of oversimplified version of history. So um, you, you couldn't find somebody who is less sympathetic to the World War II enemies of the Allies. But uh, at the same time, it's important to try to not oversimplify, say, what the Nazis did or what the Japanese did, um, and later on in the Cold War, what the Soviets did. It's important to not oversimplify. You, you don't want to excuse it either, but you also want to pay into attention a lot of detail and also see the humanity in this. I, and by humanity, I don't mean Ren. I simply mean human nature, which is, uh, if it's uncultivated, bad. Human nature is bad. The, in other words, what you were born into the world with can contain some seeds of good, but how we overall are is far from virtuous.
So whenever you see these people, the Germans or the Japanese or the Russians, you have to see some more complexity. You have to be able to observe the complexity in the situation and also be able to say and understand these are uh, human beings and human beings tend to act in certain evil ways if they are not cultivated. And that, of course, goes back to the importance of having proper and moral culture, because without proper moral culture, the human being will just stay bad or even become worse. So let's go talk about history a bit more. A lot of people will say, oh, well, things are different today. We've got modern technology, and then we've also got democracy. Well, again, democracy existed in the past, and the ancient Athens Athenians had their own version of it, and the ancient Romans had their own kind of hybrid version of it. They mixed it up with other kinds of elements, and the Roman, uh, the Roman polity existed long before the first Roman emperor, Augustus Caesar, uh, and so... You know, there is a kind of democracy there, too. And we also today don't have a pure democracy, whatever that might mean in theoretical terms. Uh, nobody has that today either. So that's one thing that's important to understand. Number two, um, you know, societies could face the same pressures. And we and basically all these lectures are taking what's from the from the past and applying it to the new so that we can understand the new and also find a way into the future that's good and so reviewing the old as a means of realizing the new is another way to understand this passage in any case let's talk about modern technology people think modern technology is just unprecedented and so you cannot predict the future and it's just going to be kind of crazy and there's a singularity and everything and and i, I I think this is not a wise way to approach understanding the present and the nearby future. Because there's always going to be an analogy to the past, you just need to think about it more carefully and somewhat creatively. You have to think about it insightfully. For example, what are computers? Okay, yes, there's no computers 2,000 years ago. But what are computers from an economic sense? They are things that do what you tell them to, and they're not very creative. They can't really think too much on their own, and they do a lot of kind of menial tasks. Same thing with robots. Well, economically speaking, that's very similar to slavery back in those days, because this is a way of controlling labor, and it creates unemployment problems and it makes certain people extremely wealthy. The only difference today is that there's not a human rights issue. Uh, there's not a morality issue regarding um, using robots and computers. Well, what about AI? What about the singularity thing? Well, assuming that this is possible, and there's a lot of reasons to doubt whether AI and the so-called singularity is truly possible. And uh, people who actually work in those fields understand how difficult it is to achieve that kind of level. So there's a lot of people out there, journalists and so forth, that, and they just say, oh, in 20 years we're going to hit it. Well, you don't know that. 
That's not something that's very predictable. But let's say it is somewhat predictable. Then you can still extend this comparison to uh, slavery, where you know slaves and servants in general, they do have their own, own ability. If we're talking about human beings, um, they're still human beings. And so even though they might not necessarily be educated, they can still think for themselves and figure it out and come up with ideas and disobey. So maybe that's something that will come as well. So technology can magnify certain things, but it does not necessarily fun change things fundamentally. So they can magnify things, but not change things fundamentally. For example, the internet. We have a version of that even 150 years ago with the telegraph machine. Now you can't sh ship as much data from one and the other, but you can communicate essentially at the speed, almost at this, uh, well, I don't know about the exact physics of it, but something ex uh, either at the speed of light or close to it. Um, in any way, it's essentially imperceptible to the human being. So you can give commands and orders from say, Virginia to California almost instantaneously. Uh, well, what about the possibility of going into space and colonizing a different planet? Well, there's a precedent for that too. It's called simply migration. So all I have to do is look 600 years ago to when the Europeans discovered the Americans, the Americas, and then you can kind of see some basic patterns that you could apply and understand what, what, what might happen in the future. One of the things that did happen once the, once the Americas were discovered by the Europeans who valued gold and silver was that there was huge inflation problems. So if asteroids are mined, this could cause significant problems possibly to the economic systems. On the other hand, we don't use gold as a standard for currency. But anyways, my whole point is that it's no matter what kind of new technologies there are, there can always be precedents that we can find in the past to estimate what will happen. And even if there are technologies that are completely new that, will, that don't have an, an equivalent from the past, Maybe we shouldn't have those technologies because they are so disruptive to simply human functioning that you'll have a very unhappy life. For example, uh, what if you could have a technology where you could read people's minds? That would be completely disastrous for everybody's relationships of every sort. Imagine all the times that your girlfriend notices that you find the other woman attract more attractive than she is at that moment. Uh, you'll never stop fighting. So the technologies that are truly unprecedented that might theoretically be available one day, we want to stay very clear away from. Then we're in essence destroying humanity. So the, the final point I want to add here is that when you're thinking about reviewing the old as a way to understand what's going on now and the future, 
the most important part of what's in what's the old in Confucianism is the way the Tao of the ancients, the former kings, and the wisdom that they pass that they have passed on through the written works such as the documents, the songs, the rituals, the music that contains and embodies and exemplifies the great wisdom of the former kings who are these very wise and virtuous people. So you want to be able to review that so that you could have this fundamental wisdom. And using that fundamental wisdom, you can deal with any kind of situation appropriately and beautifully. In other words, you're dealing with these situations so well because you have these fundamentals. If I could make an analogy, if whenever you see people um, even if they're competing in sports, such as boxing, they are always working on their fundamentals, conditioning, strength, cardio, and they're also finding inspiration from past fights and strategies and techniques. And then they're learning from that and they're adapting it to their upcoming match. So you even find this in the world of sports. So how much more useful would that be, that approach be, when we're thinking about human nature, when we're thinking about society, when we're thinking about morality, when we're thinking about having good relations? So this is a very important point, 2.11. Reviewing the old as a means to realize the new. This kind of person is worthy to take as your teacher. And this takes a lot of effort to be able to do this. It takes a lot of talent. It takes a lot of reading. It takes a lot of reflection. And it takes a lot of time to put it together in order to teach, in order to lecture, in order to write. So if you wish to support the academy, if you wish to support us in this endeavor of reviewing the old as a means to understand the new, one easy way is to do this financially through uh, rekindledradiance.com at the support us page and you could use your particular preferred platform to contribute something. Otherwise, outside of this, it's important to develop your own understanding and to attempt to pass on the wisdom to other people. Maybe these are your friends, maybe these are your own children, but this is another way in which one can advance the Tao.